was so much fun. I didn't know when else was free that way. Hey, um, it's not painfully obvious yet. Like, I don't, uh, my voice is about, like, 55%. It's hit or miss. I squeaked my way through. Yesterday, I had a, a wedding I had to officiate, dude. And I sat out of the gate and said, listen, guys, if my voice goes completely awry and you're not getting anything, marriage is invalid. Nobody laughed. That made the rest of the message very awkward. Let me just say that <laughs> your experience here at church, your experience here in community, it is valid. I'm not going to try my hand at that comedic relief one more time. This is a hot mess. If you don't pick up anything I'm putting down, let me know, okay? Because I have no idea. I feel confident. I feel confident. Um, if you're first time here, uh, welcome, you guys. We're, we're so glad that you're here with us. This is a space that, to Martin's point, like, you guys... We're in this series right now that is, do I or don't I stay Christian? And it's not like we're imposing a, this question upon you. We're giving you permission to ask out loud the question you've been asking inside for quite some time now. Like inside of this tradition that has perpetuated so much harm, so much colonialism, white supremacy, patriarchy, disregard for the earth that we live upon, so much like denial of reality, why still say yes to all of this here mess? That's the question that we are asking. Obviously, by nature, by us being here, we're a yes. We want to give you a few of the reasons why we still say yes to said mess. But before I do, though, because I have no idea what's about to come out in this space right here. And I mean that. I called Lauren at 4 o'clock today. I don't know, TJ, you don't mind being a prophet that I keep going to, right? It's a comfort zone. You're like the blanket I grew up with. Yeah, the broad shoulders. Um, I called Lauren and said, I'm not entirely sure. Like, I care so flipping much about this series. But I don't know exactly what's going to come out tonight. So before we get into the content of what might come out tonight, um, I want to say this. Who you are is more important than what you do. Even if what you do gets more attention than who you are. Uh, a lot of you guys know I serve in one of my roles as the chaplain for the Timberwolves, and we had a meeting this morning with some of our guys, and one of our new players heard that for the very first time. He said, like, can you say that one more time? Because I want to write that down. Because honestly, every year when I hit the free agency market and I wonder where I'm going to land next, everything about me becomes what do I do? Remind me once again who you are. That's not true just for NBA players. That's true for each and every one of us. Who you are, who you are being formed into as a person, not just a producer, not just a performer, not just as this somebody who puts out these different outputs. It matters more. It's more important than everything else. You showing up in this space is you saying, I'm malleable, I'm open, I want the best to come from me because I believe that's the best way that I know how to love my neighbor and myself. It's the best way I know how to live into the liberating story that is Jesus. That is the good news of the gospel. If the good news is something that makes you more closed down, shut down, dismissive of reality as it approaches you face to face, disregard it. But if the good news insists that who you are is more important than what you do, you cling to that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Because we're going to remind you of it every Sunday. We are in this series, though, do I stay or do I go now? <laughs> Admittedly, I should probably have fixed this between last week and this week because I recognized <laughs> at the beginning of last week, I meant to um, base it upon the Clash song from 1982, should I stay or should I go? 
But it, I was so confident in my memory of this song that, like, it was a do, not a should. But it definitely was a should, not a do. And so I apologize. I'm inflicting upon, like, you this, this horrible musical memory of mine. But you'll live. You're okay. But I did find out on a Google search about a half hour ago was the impetus behind writing this song, Mick Jones in 1982, was it was about, like, a well, actually, I'd say this. The historical witnesses that were privy to this information, they're a little ambiguous as, like, was this about Mick, like, and a breakup with Ellie Jones? Chino, does that sound right? Yeah. Is that what this was? Or is it, like, about his impending dismissal from the band? Either way, it does not matter really to you, but it is consistent with the spirit of this series that we're in. Do I stay or do I go now? Do I continue to claim Christianity as the tradition in which I derive the sense of substance for my story, how I understand who I am, how I understand the world I'm in, or do I just like abandon it altogether? Many of us, don't show your hand, but like we have that murky relationship. We've been on that fence before. I'm, I'm a paid Christian. That's not to say I'm not like a real one, but like it does make you wonder. I, I do ask this question all the time. Like given the fruits of this tradition, Jesus in Matthew 5 says you can you want to know the validity of a tree? Check its fruits. Given the fruits of our tradition in many different pockets, especially in Western Christianity, if you're not asking this question of do I stay or do I go, you're not being honest with what you are seeing and the fruits that you are tasting. It's a very real question. And I don't want you to hear, I say all this to say, like I don't want you to hear us saying that we're asking this question with some kind of like wink, wink, but obviously you're staying. No, 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 that's, that's not it. There are many people, for the sake of their own sanity, their own safety, they no longer find a home inside of Christianity, and they are doing so in fidelity to Christ, whether they acknowledge it or not. There is no some. There's no like prerequisite we are, are forcing upon you to say like, but you're going to stay. That's not it. That's not the game here. But we might as well ask out loud that very thing that we're asking inside every time we show up in here. And we look at the stained glass windows and we hear somebody give a monologue up front, which is such an archaic form of communication, but we're still participating in it today and you will enjoy it tonight. <laughs> do I stay or do I go? I told you guys this before, maybe 25 times now, but every Sunday when I'm asked to step on side of a pulpit, I don't care if it's creepy. It is what it is. I go to Lakewood Cemetery. It is the quietest spot inside of the city of Minneapolis. I love Lakewood Cemetery. I love the stillness there. I love just the peace there. It's beautiful. If you have yet to go, go there, like, please do so at your, your soonest convenience. Um, today, though, I went to this spot inside of said cemetery that is typically, like, low traffic. Not a lot of people there. Like, it's just me, the air. It is what it is. But somebody came through. And at some point in this moment where I was sitting on this hill next to this grave that, again, I know I'm creepy. I'm acknowledging it. At least I'm owning it, right? There's this grave that says, um, rest Johnson's soul who is where everything should be. Which I think is profound in and of its own self. But as I was sitting there today and thinking about tonight, there's this old man who showed up in a Subaru. And he pulled alongside my car, and he eventually pulled in front of it. And he walked out with a bouquet of flowers, and he headed towards this grave marked Hill. And he wasn't like we weren't within the exact same vicinity, but he was close enough where I saw him 
walk up to this grave and sit beside it and lay on top of that marker the bouquet of flowers that he brought. And he just started singing a song by himself. I'm trying not to cry right now. It was one of the more beautiful things I've seen though in a while. I don't know this man. I don't know Hill that he went to go visit. But it was holy. It was sacred. It was set apart. When I was watching him do this, I started thinking about what is he doing in this. You know, this is maybe ADHD with the lost voice, and I, I just am not computing fully with full clarity. But I started wondering, like, why would you do that? Why show up? It's beautiful for me, an onlooker looking in, but, like, you don't know that I'm here, so who are you performing for? What's the point of all of this? And I think collectively, regardless if you were in that scene or not, you would look at this man who brought the bouquet of flowers and he was singing some song that I do not know. And you would say he is here to honor this person who is no longer present next to him. He's here to honor this life that was lost. Honor the life that was lost. Honor. That's is, is an act of devotion. It's an act of honor. And for whatever reason... As I was watching him, my mind went back to my dad's mom, Grandma Joe, when I was in seventh grade, fifth grade, excuse me, fifth grade, sitting at the countertop of our family island. When I asked my Grandma Joe, why is it that we go to these church services at Calvary Baptist Church and we sing these songs to God every time before the preacher comes on and starts preaching? It is to honor all the things that God has done for us. It is to honor what God did. It is to honor the sacrifice that was made. It is to honor the good gifts that you have received. It is to honor all of the different moves and all of the different, like your family history of how God has done and done and done and done again the things that God said God would do. When I think about it now, like, I think that's true. I think it's beautiful. I think that in many ways, many of us do come here and we fill up these pews and we, we lift up our voices, cracked or otherwise, and we submit these praises as an act of honoring what God has done. I think that's holy. I think that's pure. I think that's good. As long as it doesn't come at the cost of acknowledging what God is doing. You know, when we first started this church, Debbie and I, we went uh, a lot of different people. And there's not a lot of blueprints you can pull from when most of the people that you would typically pull from disagree with the very fact that you are actually existing in the first place as an open, inclusive, celebratory community. But a lot of the people said, like, you know, you need to be loud and proud about, like, God split seas. God defied the lies of buoyancy. God, you know, broke open graves. God has a thick track record of doing amazing and incredible things and you need to celebrate all the things that God has done but not once did we hear from somebody who said and keep your eyes wide open ears pressed tightly to the ground to recognize the things that God is doing spirit is on the move still and so when we gather in these pews and we sit inside this church and we ask the question and we sing the songs are we just celebrating the fact that God has done some things are we also acknowledging with a leaned-in posture, like, what is God doing right now? 
this is our series. Like, do I stay or do I go? And yes, we're, we're, we're airing, for me personally, at least for now in this season, like I still give myself to a yes. And part of that yes is dictated and dependent upon the fact that God didn't just do some things for me, for us, for our collective church. God is doing some things right now. God goes before us right now. So one of the things that I think about when I think about yes, next week we'll shift from the no yes continuum to actually how then. What does it look like to actually like proactively plant seeds, water the soil, make things happen. But right now where we are is asking yes, and my yes is this belief that God is not something to be protected or preserved. God is not behind us alone. God is also ahead of us. God is the spirit that Jesus spoke of. Jesus said that the wind will blow where it's going to blow. You try to contain it and cage it up all you want, but watch yourself. It won't actually last. The crux of it actually falls, and I've said it to you before, but in John 16, Jesus is hours away from his crucifixion. His life is about to be completely expired, extinguished on a hill far away. And he turns to those who are closest to him. And he looks them in the eyes and of the 10,000 different things he could say to them, he goes, there are so many things I want to say to you, but you cannot bear it right now. Think about that. There are so many things I want to tell you right now, but you do not have the capacity within you to actually contain what I'm trying to pass on to you. Jesus wasn't saying, like, I'm not withholding this to play some cat and mouse game where you're going to forever seek me. And only the, you know, the, the, um, the studied among you, the spiritual elite will be able to, to divine my mind. That's not what he said at all. He said, like, I would love for it to, to tell you everything. But present moment in history, 2,000 years ago, I actually, I don't think that you have the capacity to retain everything I want to pass on to you. There's so much I want to tell you, but you cannot bear it right now. That's tied to this question of, is God ahead of us or God behind us or God beside us? If God is only behind us, if God is only beside us, if God is this thing that we need to protect and defend at all costs, then our only task as a church at hand is to preserve the tradition and keep it intact. Like, what else would our work be? Like, we, got, we were those who received this tradition, we received this understanding of Christianity, we received this elementary understanding of God, and our only responsibility is protect and preserve that right here. But if Jesus said to his disciples that I have so much to say to you, but your consciousness is not presently at a moment where you have the capacity to retain the things I want to put on you, then what does that mean for us? It's interesting, you know, we started this conversation, do I stay or do I go? And like, true to form, I got an email from somebody, I will not give you their name, who, there were parts on all, all caps email. So how dare you like even ask that question of do I stay or do I go? Like, you know, the Pew Research Center, which is like one of the primary, like, what, what you, they're, they're a big timer. Uh, that sounds dumb. They are big time. Though. I don't know how to like back it up beyond that language. Someday I'll figure it out. They came out with this new research that they backed up from their 2015 study, which said that the, in, by 2045, Christians, those who identify as Christian, 
in the United States of America will be less than 50% for the first time. So how dare you, Matt, Debbie, the table, ask this question out loud, do I stay or do I go? You're messing with things at hand. And the subtext of what he's saying without actually coming out and saying it is that, do you actually believe that God is not just behind us but also before us and also ahead of us? I had a conversation with my, I'll leave it as friend for right now. He's got his PhD in theology and religion and he sat down with me next, last summer and I knew what the conversation was about. He, he's a very, um, we, we see things very differently. He's very conservative. And I love this man. I think highly of him. I, I, I respect him head to toe. But I knew eventually we were going to have this talk. And he came to me and we were, we were doing the small talk, banter back and forth, going over the things that you'd expect to go through. And he goes like, here is my thing. How... Do you reconcile the story of the table, this community that is open and affirming, not just welcoming of all, but wanting of all, celebrating of all, seeing of all, making sure there is safety for all. How do you actually reconcile that with the story of scriptures? I, we did our, our, the classic back and forth. Here's my defense. Here's my personal story, how I reconciled it with scripture. Here's where we went. Here's where we go. And I knew the counters that were coming. And when they came, I counted them back. And at the end of the conversation, he looked at me and he goes, I hear you, but after all this tradition, you have the audacity, dare I say, arrogance, to think that you can just depart from what was to enter into something new. I said, that's the only way I know how to be faithful to Scripture. Heresy, the original word in its much more benign Greek sense, is not like this, get out of my face, you evil demonic being. It was just a departure from tradition. That's literally all it meant. You were a deviation from standard form. That's it. That's what a heretic was. And if that's true, if that's what a heresy looks like, if that's what a heretic is, Jesus was a heretic. Paul was a heretic. Early church fathers and mothers were heretics. The whole story of the church is a story of heresy. Even churches today that will get loud and proud about wanting to return to the early church because they believe that it's an archetype, not actually an infant. What they don't recognize is that even if we went back to the early church form and replicated the ways of the early church, you would not be welcomed as is. As you presently present yourself, conservative, fundamentalist church, you would not be welcomed as is. Because there have been 10,024 different movements of heretical moves that have pushed you to the place that you are. Some were the loud and proud, the Luthers, Augustines, those movers, the Anabaptist movement. But it's been the subtle Monday morning, afternoon type movements that have made you feel safe and confident that you can stand where you are. You know, a lot of people, they want to approach the scripture in understanding that, um, you know, it, we're always trying to go back because we're not that far from and we want to return to where we were. Let me just make it plain because I think it's to our own diminishment if we don't actually understand the historicity of the church. When we started this thing in the aftermath of Jesus being killed, we, we were starting an exclusive religion. There were the lost, the defiled, the dirty, the unclean. There were those who were a complete mess. 
But then came that moment in Acts 10 where Peter was cooking a meal up on top of the roof and a spirit dropped down a sheet from it filled with animals of every kind and said, I know that you've been taught in defense of your God that you're not supposed to touch any of these animals, but I dare you, I implore you to come and eat. Peter said, in defense of God, I'm going to say no to you, God. This eventually leads him to Cornelius' place. The Roman soldier, he goes to Cornelius' place, he goes like, I don't even want to darken the flipping doorway of your house. The spirit led me here, so how can the spirit call clean what I insist must be unclean? Eventually I'm going to have to cave and give in. We tell that story often when we talk about this seeing new things in new kinds of ways. In the process of evolution and expansion, it's imperative that we understand that story. We often go back to Acts 10, but remember Acts 11 because it's just as compelling and beautiful. In the aftermath of Peter going to this place that he was told in his tradition that he could never go, he ends up having to square up with James, baby brother of Jesus, the one who shared a bunk bed with Jesus, the one who was filled with the Holy Spirit, and James is, um, he's livid. He's upset. Because not, not only should you never darken the doorway of a Gentile like Cornelius, never should you like go into his presence. How dare you actually sit down and break bread with that man? That's not what this is about. My brother died for something much higher. My brother gave his life for something much bigger, much deeper, much wider. That's not what this is about. And Peter looks at him. Acts 11, he says, let me just tell you the whole story of what I experienced. And he starts from the top and he says, listen, I was on the rooftop. I agree with you, James. I loved your brother like you love your brother. I'm, I'm, I'm in. But what had happened was there was this sheet that led me to these people, that led me to this space. I ended up spending days. And what I saw when I saw them crying out the same name that you and I cry out every night, how am I so supposed to go back and do anything different? You know, the Christian church, as it evolved over the years, it could have looked back on that Acts 11 text and said, you know what, James, let's edit undo the things that you said. Let's make it a little more pure, a little more clean. Let's tidy that up a little bit. But it left it in there. James' bigotry, James' exclusivity, the root of the Christian church, it was preserved. Because that's not the only thing you find in Acts 11. At the end of it, when James and the council in Jerusalem sit before Peter and they say, tell us your story. And Peter tells them the story. They don't say, but this, Peter. And, uh, Peter, this. They look at Peter's story. They, they bear witness to his testimony. And they say, well, even the Gentiles, I guess, according to Peter and his story, have been granted repentance that leads to life. Embedded in the Christian story, I know I'm getting the tail of the time, the kids are here and I need to wrap up. But I think it's imperative that we understand how things are, not how things are supposed to always be. When we say yes to the, the tradition that is Christianity, we are saying yes to a tradition that rejects itself time and time again because it believes that the spirit is not just behind us, it's also ahead of us, pulling us into something new. And yes, we have our stances at the beginning of Acts 11 that say this is not possible. But then we witness incarnationally flesh, blood, stories, pain. We witness stories of, of queer children who are five to seven times more likely to commit suicide in the context of church and other kids. And we say we can't look away from that. Chattel slavery. 
we hear slaves crying, praying to the same Jesus that we pray to, and say, like, yes, our faith has made it justified that we can own people. This is not true anymore. It's the same story. So time and time again, the most consistent way to be Christian, if you're trying to do it scripturally, is to recognize that you have the humility to say, I've arrived here, and I'll probably be wrong later. Because the Spirit is always pulling us into something new, rooted in flesh, blood, bone, and truth, often found in tears. James goes from, nah, it's like, okay. I guess that's the case now. So yes, I'm a Christian still. Because I believe that God is pulling us into new, bigger, and better, and beautifuler stories. I don't know what they'll look like. I'll probably look back on my time, even as a pastor, at the end of my days and go like, you were a punk about a lot of things and wrong <laughs> more than you were right. But there were also those moments where you took a step forward, collectively as a church, individually as a pastor. You said yes to those things that made the space warmer, more hospitable, more consistent with the call of spirit. Even if it costs you a few all caps emails in return. Jesus, God, you are good. God, we are grateful. We're a fringe movement, Lord. I recognize that, Jesus. We're never going to be the mega church. We're never going to be the sexiest show in town. But God, give us the courage to be faithful. Not the arrogance to be right, you know, in the midst of all who are wrong. No, we're not right. But we are taking our experiences and the things that we are seeing and we're asking the text time and time again, is this the most faithful way that we can understand it? God, give us the courage and the conviction to stay true to our fidelity. We believe that you are the servant son of love. We believe that you are compelling us to live stories of love. That's enough for right now. In Christ's name, we all pray. Amen. heretic <laughs> and we follow the best right because I'm thinking of communion which is what we're about to do together because when Jesus gathered with his friends in the upper room and he broke that bread and he gave thanks for it and he said eat this bread drink this this is for all of you that open table concept that was also heresy and so as we live that out Together as a community, as we say this table is open to all, we are going to welcome everybody to this community. Um, we're just following in the steps of our favorite heretic. <laughs> so tonight, we are going to remember together that before he died, Jesus gathered with his friends, and he took body broken for you and then he poured the wine into the glass and he said this is my blood and it's for you do this whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup do it in remembrance of me so that's what we that's what we're going to do here tonight we're going to invite you to come forward and we'll make one line you can take they're all gluten-free and dip it into the cup and receive those words this is the body of christ broken for you and the blood of christ shed for you if you're not ready to participate in in-person communion with us, that's okay. We also have some pre-wrapped elements. You can still receive those words from the person who's handing those out, and then you can take your elements back to your seat when you're ready.
would you stand with me if you're able? We're going to say the Lord's Prayer together, the prayer that Jesus taught his friends to say. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. I guess what I'm just trying to say is that in this series, it's, it's like we're having this gut, I hope it's leading you to gut-wrenching honesty. You can evaluate and just acknowledge for yourself that this tradition that we, for some of us, we were raised by, for other of us, we opted into, we didn't know how ugly it could be. When you get honest and sober about it, it's really much more ugly than you thought it could be. And yet, as Debbie spoke about two weeks ago, we still find our story rooted on that legendary son of love whose life is still catalytic, that life that was empathetic, that life that was rooted in compassion, that life that was pushed to the death penalty, gun pressed against his head, and he said, forgive these boys. They're caught up in a system that they do not know. They have no idea what they're doing. God, what a beautiful story that is. That, I'm compelled by that. I'm going to stop preaching because we already did that, right, Christian? I can see you tapping your guitar like you're impatient with me. So let's end with the benediction. This matters. This space, it matters. Being a church together in times like these where you are choosing it, not because of obligation nor because of fear, but because you believe that the best story out there for you to be formed in you comes through togetherness. This matters. You do me a favor, just hold out your hands. If it's helpful, close your eyes and receive these words from the heart of the Christ. No matter who you are or what you've done, who you love or what you've lost, where you've gone or the places that you've stayed, please know that there will always be a seat here for you at the table because you as you are right now, period. You are a beloved child of God. And beloved, you belong. Go in peace. We will see you next Sunday night. Love you guys.